Uh, it's good to come and, and preach. It's been a little while since I've been preaching, actually. Uh, I used to preach most weekends uh, when we were in Kenya. Typically there, uh, you get invited along to a church or we just decide to go to a church. Where are we going this weekend? You turn up to church and, and uh, five minutes after you've walked through the door, uh, somebody is saying, oh, Craig, you're here. Can you preach this morning? Uh, worst case example, we were in um, Uganda and uh, had all the worship and uh, the, uh, the pastor there got up and said, oh, why don't we welcome our visitors uh, and get them to say a few words. So Julie and I get up on stage. So I say a few words, pass the microphone over to Julie who says, you know, uh, a couple of paragraphs. And while she's speaking, the pastor turns to me and says, are you ready to go? And I'm like, go where? He's like, oh, no, can you preach this morning? Like, you're not even going to get off stage before you actually start preaching. So uh, it's good to have a, a little bit of notice, but sometimes, you know, God calls us... Don't uh, tell me. <laughs> don't tell me. Uh, God calls us to be ready uh, whenever. So this morning, uh, the title of my sermon is God's, Holy, uh, God's Holiness Demands Our Purity. God's Holiness Demands Our Purity. Great title, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't take any credit for that at all because uh, Pastor Phil suggested the direction. I'm not suggesting he's controlling here and saying, Craig, preach this. But he said, Craig, preach this. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so God's holiness demands uh, our purity. And uh, it's not the normal way you put a sermon together because normally we sort of start with a, an idea, hopefully an idea from God. Uh, that's always a good thing. Not always popular these days, but uh, we should start there and then you move into an objective and start putting an outline and some points together. And once you've finished all of that, then you put a catchy title on it, right? So that people sort of are interested. Uh, whereas this way around, I sort of went with the title first. And uh, Phil says, uh, so God's holiness demands our purity. And I went, hmm, hmm. What do I think about that? <laughs> is it scriptural? That's the first question we should ask. Is it scriptural? I should ask that question. Is it possible? Wow. Oh, ah, okay. Is it possible? Does it fit with the God that I believe in? It's not a good question. And if I believe it, what's it going to cost me? Is that a tough question? God's holiness demands our purity. Often when people start thinking about holiness and purity, we start thinking about a list of things that we have to do or not do. Holiness is all about what we do and purity is all about what we don't do. And so I could just take five minutes this morning and say, you know, you're reading your Bible at least to three or maybe four hours a day. Are you praying for the other three or four hours of the day, are you fasting at least three or four days a week, preferably for three days and then for four days? Let, and then we'll be holy. Purity. Purity. Basically, if you watch anything more than G-rated movies, and actually some of those G-rated movies, they are demonic. Have you seen kids' TV this day? Oh, my goodness. Uh, if you read anything other than the Bible, your purity is it. Is, uh, is at, say, at stake there. In fact, I'd suggest you all lock yourselves in your house because if you just go out the door into the world, you are bombarded with things that will, uh, that will uh, 
uh, challenge your purity. If you have your Bible uh, with you this morning, um, for those of you who didn't leave it beside their bed when they woke up this morning and read it, uh, (laughs) the key passage is from 1 Peter chapter 1. All right, so uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to keep coming back to that uh, passage this morning. Um, We're going to read from 1 Peter 1.15 to try and answer the first question is, is it scriptural? Well, 1 Peter 1.15 would suggest yes. All of those people thinking, hopefully no. The answer is actually yes. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he who has called you is holy, so you be holy in all manner of conduct. So, we are not off the hook. God's holiness does actually demand our purity. Ah, okay, all right. So, the problem we have is sometimes we think, okay, so if I know what God's holiness is like, and, and Jamie shared this morning during prayer meeting, he said, you know, God's holiness means he's without spot or blemish, untainted by sin or evil. That's God's holiness. And then we read here that, so you be holy, just the same way that God is holy. And we're going, ah, it doesn't, I know myself and a spot or blemish. That's, it's not me without spot or blemish. It's not me pure in all my conduct. And so sometimes we sort of get this impression that well, God's holiness is over here and I am a long way over there. But the problem with that is that sometimes we can feel that, okay, if God's holiness demands our purity and God's holiness is over there, then I need to stay over here. Because until I get my own life sorted out, until I actually become holy, until I start putting away the impure things, I'm never going to be able to approach a holy God. And that's where our list of do's and don'ts and our rules come into play. And we say, you know, if I read the Bible more, if I pray more, if I fast more, if I put these disciplines in my life, then I'll I'll finally make it to that place where... God might even be interested in hearing from me. God might actually be interested in having a conversation because this holy God demands a pure person to come to be, have, to be close, to be there. Fortunately for us, uh, that is not the way it works at all. Sure, in the Old Testament, they had all of these things that they had to do. In fact, the, the Pharisees were just so keen on making rules and regulations that they didn't take you know, just what God had said, but they started adding all of these things. And they started adding to the, the whole legal system. Even in, in Israel today, they have what they call Sabbath elevators. See, in, in this, on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to do any work. Someone has determined that pressing the button in the elevator is work. Walking up the stairs is not work. But pressing the button in the elevator, that is work. And so they have Sabbath elevators that from Friday at 6 p.m. until Saturday at 6 p.m., the elevators will stop on every floor so that if you live on the 15th floor of an apartment building, you don't have to press the button. You just wait and get on two and three and four and five. I mean, you can pace backwards and forwards, but that's not work. Understand that you've got this whole idea that that God has said, here's a rule, and and people take it to 
and extreme. So a rule, a list of do's and don'ts uh, is not what holiness and purity is about. Sure, there are some things that we're not supposed to do and some things that we are supposed to do about our relationship with a holy God. But God is not interested in us making us ourselves so good that we feel we can come into his presence. So interestingly, if we go back in 1 Peter 1, just a few verses to uh, verse, uh, chapter, uh, verse 2, 1 Peter 1, verse 2, it said, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. God chose you and knew you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. Why do we call the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit? Because as the Spirit dwells in us, we are made holy. In verse 15, it really should read not just be holy, as is something we have to achieve, but continue to walk out your holiness that has been placed within you. You are already holy. You say, well, how can this be? Well, I'm going to ask you a question this morning to see whether you've been listening over the last few weeks. Here's a test. Where do we live? I'll give you a clue. The answer is not Te Awamutu. For all those people who went there, where do we live? Te Awamutu. I mean, he's been talking about, is, it, is that really, doesn't really fit with the sermon? Is the holiness? Is Te Awamutu some sort of Maori name for God is holy and we live here? Where do we live? We are Zion people. Yeah? yeah? yeah. What does that mean? God's dwelling place is our dwelling place. Our dwelling place is God's dwelling place. We're supposed to be living in Zion, living in the dwelling place of God. So if you're over here thinking that your holiness is not good enough to come close to a holy God, we are Zion people. We are here dwelling with God. You see, holiness is a place, first up. Holiness means to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be set apart for a special purpose. And as the Holy Spirit has come in us, we are set apart. We can dwell with the Holy God because we have already been set apart. We have this purpose. Now think about this. Um, the, in the Old Testament, they had implements. They had uh, things that they used inside the, uh, inside the temple. Now these things were made out of uh, whether it was gold or silver or bronze, whatever they were happened to be used uh, uh, for, they were just made out of common materials, but once they were used in the temple, they were set apart for a special purpose. They were made holy. You couldn't just take that lamp snuffer that they had made for the temple and say, oh, I need one of those at home. I'm going to take that home and use it at home. No, it was set apart. It had to be used for a special purpose in the temple, and that's what made it holy. That You and I are made of the same material as everybody else. The atoms, the elements, whether they were body, soul, and spirit that makes us human beings, but we have been set apart for a special purpose. 
Romans 8.10 says, And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Are you standing in the have been? Or are you still looking forward to the could be? You have been made right with God. The same way you and I are made holy, we are set apart for a special purpose. And when we understand what that purpose is, when we understand what we're supposed to be used for, yes, it will affect our conduct. Yes, it will affect our behavior. Yes, it will affect those things that we are supposed to do. But that's on the basis of us being set apart for a special purpose. And understanding what that special purpose is allows us to make choices as to what we are going to be used for. God wants us to use us. God wants to use us for proclaiming his righteousness, for showing him to be the God of the universe, for glorifying him in everything that we do. Make our work so shine before men that they don't glorify us, but that they glorify our God in heaven. So yes, there is this aspect of conduct and behavior, but we're already set apart for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? God's holiness demands our purity. So, We're holy, but do we remain fixed on his purpose? Do we only allow ourselves to be used for his work? Now, this requires something from us. Our holiness is something God did for us. Remaining fixed on his purpose is something that we do for him. Now, remember, it's not about our effort. It's not about us trying to come into God's presence by our own Uh, works and and trying to generate our own salvation, but rather God has given us holiness and we need to be walking in it. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm reading from verses 13 to 16. 1 Peter 1 verses 13 to 16. It says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Ah, you see, everyone says, yeah, self-control. I knew it was coming. There's a list of do's in there somewhere. Uh, Prepare your minds for action. I've got to do something. Exercise self-control. That means there's some things I can't do. Me and pineapple lumps have a a long-running battle. Uh, Unfortunately, those demons of pineapple lumps have raised themselves again in my life since I came back to New Zealand. Uh, Yes. Anyway... Put all, your, <laughs> put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. In verse 14, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. See the contrast? You didn't know any better then. Now you know better. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Peter, Peter is going on to tell us that, yes, we, we, do, uh, we are placed in holiness by the Holy Spirit, but there's something that we need to do. We need to continue to walk in that holiness. We need to be people who recognize where we live in the dwelling place of God, and then we need to walk out that recognition, that revelation 
in our lives. It's not a list of things to try and get into Zion. It's because we live in Zion, we, got, we dwell where God dwells, that we actually want to start to walk as Christ walked. We don't walk as Christ walked just because we have this idea that we'll try and catch up with where he is. We walk as Christ walks because we're already partnered with him. Now, this is the part that many people get sidetracked on because striving is something that is sort of built into us. We strive to be good people. But in verse 13, Peter makes an interesting comment here. He says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. And we think, well, that's something that I have to do. But he says, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Don't put your hope in what you can do. Don't put your hope in in the things that you're doing well, even when you are exercising self-control, even when you are trying to be obedient to what God demands of you. Put all your hope in Jesus. You see, some people say that, that, uh, that holiness and purity is the way to Christ. But in actual fact, Christ is the way to holiness and purity. It's not holiness and purity that gets us close to God. It's because we are close to God that we walk out our holiness and purity. And to go even a step further than that, Jesus is our holiness and purity. Often we hear of repentance as being uh, turning a 180, turning away from something that we shouldn't do. And yet I, I, I like to think of repentance as turning to something. Right? Yes, we have to turn to, turn, uh, to turn to something. We have to turn away from something. But the, the whole idea of focusing on the away means that our mind is still there. Oh, I have to turn away from sin. I have to turn away from bad behavior. I have to turn away from this conduct. Where is my focus? Well, it's the away from whatever is over here. When in all things we are saying, I'm turning to Jesus. In this situation that I find myself not lining up with the mind of Christ, what am I doing? I'm turning to Jesus. I'm turning to Jesus. I'm turning to Jesus. I like in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 1, uh, it says that John is, is, is praying in the Spirit. Uh, and uh, it just it freaks me out because here we are, Revelation 1.10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. You can just imagine this peace and serenity. John at this stage is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been exiled there, so it's not like a busy metropolis. He's probably out there in the, in the fields. He's down on his knees. He's praying. I was in the spirit, you know, just calm and peaceful. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, John! Can you imagine? I'm in the spirit. John! What? What? What does John do, apart from almost have a heart attack? He was an old man. He's probably in his 90s by this stage. It's lucky verse, verse 11 didn't say, and John fell over a heart attack and Jesus raised him from the dead. <laughs> and we move on to the rest of the book. Uh, what does John do? It says, it says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and I saw Jesus. That's repentance. John wasn't doing anything wrong. But when he heard the voice of Jesus, 
He turned from what he was doing and saw Jesus. That's what we're asked to do when we come in repentance, when, we, when we're in that place where we're not doing what God wants us to do. Are we hearing the voice of Jesus that says, hey, come on now. And at that point, do we turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do right now? It's not a rule it's a relationship. It's not saying, well, I've now got to measure it up. You know, uh, G movies are okay. What about PG-13s? Yeah, they're okay. That's all right. What about the, what is it, 16 plus? Is 16 plus okay? Ah, oh, you know, well, maybe that's no, that's no good. Well, maybe I need to come, to come back a notch. And yet if we're watching something and Jesus says, hey, that's not good. Oh, Okay. I'm turning from that. Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'm turning from whatever it is I'm doing, but I'm turning to Jesus and I'm asking the question, is this right for me right now? See, the problem with rules is that rules are, 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 are uh, we talk about the spirit rather than the law. Rules are just inflexible and that we, we apply them to everybody equally. It doesn't matter uh, whether you're a 90-year-old driver or a 15-year-old driver, the speed limit is... 70 k's an hour on this road past here. It's the same rule for everybody. Uh, sometimes we think that the speed limit should be a little bit lower at either end of those spectrum. In fact, the 90-year-old driver is probably struggling to get up to the speed limit, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> we all have these little things we need to relax. All right. But they're just rules. There's, no, there's nothing there. But God is, is interested in you as an individual. And he wants to say, you know, I'm, I'm putting this boundary in your life to protect you from something. I'm putting this boundary in your life because I see that you have a weakness in this area. And it's not about how close to the line you can get. It's not about what the rule is with the line in the sand. It's saying you need to flee from temptation. And this is an area of temptation for you. There are some people who go and witness in bars and pubs, and have no problem with that at all. And there are some people who should never go into a bar. All right, now what makes it a rule? Well, you can, it's okay if you go in there as long as you don't drink. For some people, going in there is the problem. That's right. yeah, that's good. And for other people, it's not a problem. So we need to be people who are turning to Jesus, turning to uh, to uh, his divine face to see what he wants us to see in any situation. That when he comes and he says, Craig, this is not for you, we turn from that thing and we say, Jesus, you know what is best. You know my heart. You know my weaknesses. You want me to walk in holiness and purity. And so I need to turn my face to Jesus, not just away from the thing that I have. If we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, and if I could get the host team to uh, hand out the communion this morning. So we're going to take communion uh, sitting down in the seats. So the host team are going to pass out uh, the elements to you. Please, uh, if you can, wait, and we'll all take it together. If you're desperately thirsty, well, that's between you and God. <laughs> what is he saying? Uh, but as we, as we hand out the elements this morning... Uh, we're going to go on in 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at 18 to 22. So verse 18, it carries on. For you know 
that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. God paid a ransom to save you from your empty life. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him, Christ, great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. And so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters love each other deeply with all your heart. So Christ is our ransom. Christ is the opportunity that we come to to gather together. And we talk about Easter uh, just coming up next weekend where we see that ransom that was paid, uh, the blood that was shed, the heartache that Jesus went through so that we can come together in fellowship. We talked a couple of weeks ago about this idea that as we gather together around the elements, we're gathering together in fellowship. And Peter is really expressing this truth again. Just because we know the truth in Christ, we should love one another. And ultimately, if we love one another, we will live lives of holiness and purity because we are concerned about other people. We're concerned about fellowship. And whenever, uh, whenever we have an impurity in our life, we are distancing ourselves, not only from the love of God, but often from the love of other people as well. We need to be people who come together, love each other deeply with all your heart. Don't be afraid of your imperfections. Uh, but we love one another. We come together uh, in, the, uh, in the communion, in, in that fellowship together this morning, Because Christ made a way for us to do that. And even as we come around the the bread and the juice this morning, we are called to remember. It says, as often as we meet together, remember what Jesus has done, but we should also remember what he's still doing. It's not just something that's... The work of the cross is finished. It's a completed work, but the work of the cross in our lives... That is an ongoing thing that we should be looking forward to having resolved when Jesus returns. We remember not only the example that he is to us, but we remember the help that he is to us. We remember the work that he has completed, but we also want to remember the work he has to complete. Jesus is not just resting at the right hand of the Father. Yes, he's gone back to the right hand of the Father. He's in the same dwelling place. He invites us to be there with him. But Jesus is still at work. Peter says, We were cleansed from our sins when we obeyed the truth. Let us be people who walk in our salvation. That moment when you said the first time you came to Christ and you said, Thank you, Lord, that I am set free from this body of sin and death. That's still true. That's still true. We don't have to go back into that. We don't have to say, well, I know that God saved me when I got saved, but now today, you know, 
I can't, I can't rely on that salvation. Thank you. So as we come around the communion, uh, as we fellowship together, as we, as we look at the, the, the broken cracker, the juice, we remember. Let's pray together. Lord, even as we, as we look at this wafer, as we look at this something that has been broken, we remember that you were broken for us. Yes, so that we may have salvation in the future. Yes, so that we may have eternity. But that you may break the power of sin and death in our lives. That today we can walk in purity and holiness because of the, of, of the fact that you, your body was nailed to that cross. That nailed to the cross and that you were beaten and bruised and battered for us. We thank you, Lord, that you went to the cross for us. We acknowledge the suffering that you made so that we may live in purity. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. And now, Jesus, as we, as we take the cup, we remember the offering that was poured out for us. That you gave up your spirit so that we may have life in the spirit. We remember that even as we put our trust in you, your blood flowed out onto the ground, but it now flows in our veins as we partake of the body, as we are come together in fellowship one with the other. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us into all truth, even as we understand uh, the sacrifice that was made for us. We thank you for that sacrifice, and we, we show our thanks by choosing to follow you this day. Let's drink together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, the host team will collect the cups after the service. So if you're looking around, who's going to collect? You have to hold on to them for a little while. It gives you something to do. All right. God's holiness demands our purity. We are Zion people, set apart, made holy, dwelling with God in his dwelling place, not looking for God in our place. We are people who live a life of purity by setting all our hope on Jesus, not trying to live a life of purity in our own strength. Now, as I was praying about the sermon this week, something my brother said, uh, I remember something my brother said last week. Uh, now, some of you may know Brett, uh, Pastor Phil alluded to him. Um, now, he's, uh, he's decided that he wants to complete an Ironman. I think he's planning that for that in March. Uh, for those of you who don't know, an Ironman is a 3.8-kilometre swim, followed by a 180-kilometre cycle, followed by a marathon or a 42K run. And everybody, possibly with the exception of Richard, thinks that he is absolutely crazy. Because yeah. <laughs> I understand you've done an Ironman. Right, so now you know he's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, I'm not here to comment on his mental state, although I may have done that already. I have to <laughs> get it out of there. Anyway, we were sitting in Burger King last week having lunch. Part of his training. <laughs> ah, the irony. The irony. <laughs> right, okay. All right. Anyway, anyway. Uh, as we were having our lunch, 
uh, I think it was a, like a keto burger. Uh, you get those a bit <laughs> low calorie. Uh, the fries were practically not even in the food group of their own. Anyway, uh, we were talking about his, he was talking about his running training, right? And he and he actually came up with this. His new mantra was stride, not strive. And as I was thinking about the sermon, it really is 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 really the essence of what I'm trying to say this morning is that we stride in Jesus, we don't strive in Jesus. Now the whole difference of that is is when you're running, and you can tell by my physique, I'm not really the best person to be demonstrating this, um, (laughs) because I'm not a runner by any any stretch of the imagination, but when you're running, there's a tendency to lean forward. right? And as you run, because you're trying to push yourself forward all the time. All right, and the problem with that is it's not very efficient if we strive like that. Actually, what you need to do is be nice and upright. Right? Good form is everything. And what you're trying to do is increase your stride length to actually push, push yourself faster. But if you actually get your form right, if you stop striving and actually just start to stride out, you realize that you actually go further and you go faster than if you're just trying to push. Because form is better than effort. Form is better than effort. And in Jesus, he wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to stand tall because we are holy. He wants us to stand tall because we are pure. He doesn't want us to strive with a bent back under all this weight of, of all the things I have to do and all the things that I have to be and, and I can't do this and I can't do that and I, I slip up here and I slip up there. He wants us to stand tall in him. He wants us to be people who recognize who we are in Christ, recognize it's not our own strength, but it's Christ in us who does all of these things. We should be striding forward in our knowledge of who we are in Christ and standing tall because of our confidence in him, not bent over under the weight of expectation. And holiness is sometimes one of those things that feels like a weight You have been set free, and now we're going to take this huge weight and put it back on your shoulders. Struggle under that. That's not Christ. Christ came to set us free. He says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. But it's only light if we take him with us on the journey. If we use his strength. When we say, look, I've messed up, it's not about me, it's Christ. I'm turning to you. What do you want me to do? Where is your strength in this situation? God is faithful far more faithful than we could ever be. He will not let you be bowed under by the things of this world. God's holiness demands our purity, but God's Spirit gives us a place and God's Son sets us a pace. God's holiness demands our purity, but God's Spirit gives us a place and God's Son sets us a pace. Galatians 5, 24 and 25, and I'll end with this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. 
That's the first one up for the altar call. <laughs> and a second. Let's pray as we finish off. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are willing to come alongside, that you dwell within us, that you want to set us set, see us set free from every bondage, and whether that's, uh, whether that's rules that we feel that we have to follow or whether that's expectations of others. Lord, you want to set us free so that we can walk out that holiness and that purity, uh, that, uh, that our good conduct and our behavior would be something that comes from within by your spirit leading and guiding us. Lord, I pray Lord, for each one uh, who is struggling in an area, Lord, that they would not just turn away from what they're struggling with, but they would turn to you this morning. Lord, that they would look into your face because your face has a solution to every problem. Lord, I pray, Lord, that people will just be set free of the expectation and realize they can walk tall, stand with confidence in the work that you've already completed. Lord, that they will be able to just acknowledge and understand that they live with a holy God who wants to lift them up, who wants to see them strengthened and set free. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for the work that you continue to do in our lives. Lord, even as we move into this Easter season, uh, Lord, and recognize that we come again to understand the work uh, that you did. Lord, I pray, Lord, that that work would be something that's in our hearts to see us set free in every area. Lord, that we would be working, walking in purity because we're working out what you have placed already within us. We thank you, Lord, for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Very good.